Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today we're talking to Scott Gaffney, one of the most accomplished ski movie directors of all time, and the guy behind so many of the iconic Matchstick Productions films. Gaffney has been doing it for a long time now, and he's worked with so many legendary skiers that it's simply ridiculous. In this conversation, I talked to Scott about how he got into filming ski movies, how he then got connected with Matchstick Productions, and I even managed to pin Scott down on which Matchstick films are his personal favorites. Of course, we also talk a lot about working with the likes of Shane McConkie, Eric Hurlifson, Cody Townsend, and Candide Thovex. And in one of my favorite parts of our conversation, I got Scott to talk about the most mind-blowing sessions he ever witnessed. And let's be clear, there are very few people on this earth who have witnessed more apex skiing and gnar than Scott has over the years. Scott and I also talk about the newest matchstick film, Drop Everything, and you can head over to skimovie.com to see the Drop Everything tour schedule because you can still go see it with your friends on the big screen. And you can also download Drop Everything and a bunch of the other MSP films we talk about in this episode at skimovie.com. And that's good since after listening to this conversation, I am certain you are going to want to watch or rewatch a number of these films. By the way, aside from all these films, Scott is a very passionate and a really good skier in his own right, and you can see evidence of this in the season edit he put together from last year. Uh, just go to the show notes to this podcast episode on Blister to check that out. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by The Mountain Collective. We've said it before, there are a number of multi-resort ski passes out there, but in our opinion, no other pass can match the number of world-class ski areas that are included in this collection. You can check out the whole list of Mountain Collective ski areas at mountaincollective.com, but maybe the most important thing to say is that with a Mountain Collective pass, you can head to Squaw and go watch today's guest on the podcast jump off stuff and ski like he's still 20 years old. Another bonus is that there are no blackout dates with your Mountain Collective Pass, so you can go ride where you want, when you want. And if you checked out our 1718 Blister Winter Buyer's Guide, you'll know that we are going to be spending a bunch of time in Telluride this season. So grab your Mountain Collective Pass and come ski or ride with us in Telluride. Again, go to mountaincollective.com to learn more. And now, let's get to my conversation with the guy who is still vying for the title of best skier on the mountain, Scott Gaffney. Scott Gaffney, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing very well. Um, and where are you today? I'm in Lake Tahoe. I'm looking out my window uh, at a, a gray day, which is pretty unusual for here, so... Are kind you, of a good day to chill inside and get stuff done. Good, good. Are, you're not like depressed or anything. I mean, not not seeing the sun for you know 20 minutes in Tahoe. Yeah, that's basically what it is. No, we're uh, we're we've got it pretty good here. So okay. I tend to be pretty happy. Okay. <laughs> well, good. Um, well, there's a bunch of stuff that uh, I want to talk with you about today. Um, uh, you know, the history of Matchstick, um, this uh, latest Matchstick release, Drop Everything, which I've now had the chance to watch a couple of times, and it's fantastic. 
Um, but why don't we, just in case people don't know, let's go ahead and kind of start in the way, way back. Um, where did you grow up? When did you first start skiing? I am a kid from northern New York, uh, up in the Adirondack Mountains. And I grew up skiing at a place called Big Tupper when I was about two or three years old. And uh, lived there through uh, college, pretty much. I uh, went to Ithaca, Ithaca, Ithaca College in uh, southern New York. Okay. Uh, went there for four years. And once I graduated from there, I moved to Colorado for a couple of years. Uh, lived in Summit County there. And then made the uh, migration to Lake Tahoe, and I've been here ever since. Okay, and when was the Tahoe migration? Yeah, to put a time frame on it, I, I moved to Colorado in 91 when I graduated, mm -hmm. uh, and then I moved to California in 93, 94. Okay, okay. So started skiing early, and early and often? Yeah, my dad was, uh, like, we had a little mom and pop ski area right there in the town I grew up in, uh, since I was a little tiny kid. And my dad was one of the few ski patrollers on the hill, you know, it was a place with uh, one T bar, two chairs, actually they had three chairs and a little, uh, mighty might lift, but, uh, real small, real good vibe mountain. Nice. You know, these days, uh, well, I guess, I guess we kind of know you, you're kind of famous for a couple of reasons. I mean, you just put out a pretty damn phenomenal ski edit, uh, your own ski edit. Uh, was that a, a week or two ago? Well, thank you. Yeah, probably uh, two weeks ago. Okay, yeah. So what we know about you is you can ski a little bit, and then you direct all these ski films, right? So right. I guess what I want to know about is as, I mean, you are simply one of the most accomplished ski directors there is, I'd say. I, I don't think that's disputable. So I guess the question is, how does somebody, how did you get into this trajectory of directing ski films? Yeah, I, I wasn't a uh, cinephile like Michael Bolton. I wasn't fully into movies, but I was into ski movies. And I like seeing the world through a frame. I, I was really into still photography. Um, and this was a time when, you know, there weren't a whole lot of movies out. But in, I think it was in 83, I saw Warren Miller's Ski Time. Mm -hmm. And I saw Scott Schmidt going off at Squaw Valley. And I was, I'd never seen that kind of skiing before whatsoever. And so I was blown away. And from there, uh, I went to college and I was in Ithaca, which isn't the most, uh, you know, doesn't have the most naturally amazing features around it besides waterfalls, but, uh, didn't, doesn't have big mountains. Uh, my younger brother went to see you in Boulder and in, in, uh, Colorado. So I was listening to, or, or hearing from him how much good skiing he was doing. And I was sitting in Ithaca like, Oh man, I, I got to do something about this. And right around that time when I was starting to get a little frustrated in college and wanting to be out West and wanting to be skiing, I saw blizzard of Oz and that changed everything for me. I still remember walking out of a friend's dorm, having wa having watched that movie, and I was like, that's the path I'm going. Hmm. And, and it, it was never the path of, I'm going to make ski movies, and I, I want everyone to know about me. All I knew is that I was going to go skiing, and I wanted to do something creative with it. Yeah. 
temp. So pretty, and it, you know, just things fell into place and one thing led to another. And here I am doing this so many years later. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, I've got a little insider knowledge um, about one of your first, <laughs> I love this story so much, but uh, one of your first ski films, right? Um, help me out here. I believe the title of it is something called The Need to Fly. Okay, that wasn't, that was a, that was a project. That was a, uh, a, I, I, will, I would guess it's my senior, like, culminating project of my TV radio communications uh, degree. And okay. it was basically, I, I can't remember how long it was. It might have been eight to ten minutes or something like that. But it was basically a selfie video of me talking about my need to pursue skiing and do anything I can to make skiing my entire life. And, you know, it, it's, it's cheesy looking back <laughs> on it, but it actually, the, I think the professor was really moved by it. And he, I'm one of the students that he remembered for years because of that project. Huh? So this thing still exists today. We, do we know where it lives? Uh, I just found it. I just found a DV tape sitting in a sh shelf and I had no idea. It just says Gaffney on it. And so I just threw in a DV player like two days ago to see what it was. And sure enough, there was a need to fly. And it's something that uh, this guy, Tate McDowell, who used to uh, edit for TGR, he went to Ithaca. And so his professor gave him this tape of mine, a need to fly. And Tate brought that tape with him. And he gave it to Eric Rohner. And Eric Rohner had a good laugh at my expense. And then they he gave it to me. So I just came across that thing two days ago. Pretty crazy timing. What do I have to do to get you to somehow make this available uh, on this podcast, the show notes for this podcast? I want I don't know why, but I want to see this so bad. Oh, it's yeah, I, it's god awful, really, when it comes right down to it. That's and okay. and I, I I like rewound it a little bit and saw some of my skiing in it and it's the most embarrassing style. I don't know what I was trying to do. <laughs> I was skiing really weird, like really over skiing, if you can do that. Um, it's something that I, I really don't want to see the light of day. <laughs> oh, it's it's bad. Every, like the more you keep talking about it, you realize like the more I want to see this. No, you know, the one thing that it does have going <laughs> for it is that it shows there a whole lot of passion. Yep. For, for East Coast skiers and, and, you know, what they live with and what they want to get out there and do and see. Um, but we'll leave it at that. It's, it's pretty um, bad. Uh, to any of Scott's friends who are listening to this, I'm no. just, just going to say you, I think for, for, for all of, for skiers everywhere, you really need to break in and steal this tape and then get it to our hands. And, and we, I think we need to see this. And I think it sounds amazing. So yeah, it's, it's anything but amazing. <laughs> please. I've also heard that there was a, um, there was a pretty lengthy manuscript for lack of a better word called pursuing your passion. What, yeah. what do you know about this? <laughs> pursuing a passion, pursuing that a passion. That was for a course I took at Ithaca called Autobiography. 
And so when you take a course called autobiography, you're obviously going to end up writing about your life. And once again, you know, with video, I made this, this video of me pursuing skiing mm -hmm. and in written form, I did it of, uh, I basically showed my whole life and how it led up to, I'm going to go ski. So pursuing a passion. Okay. Pursuing it was it? like a hundred pages. You know, it's the, it's the type of thing I haven't touched since I set it in a box. What? 27 years ago. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So somewhere. Friends of Scott, <clears throat> you are now commissioned both to find and steal a need to fly and pursuing a passion. And we will put both both the videos and the, the manuscripts up on Blister. This is now like my primary mission in life, basically, to, to, to make this happen. So you shouldn't stand in the way of progress here, Scott. I don't think you're going to earn a whole lot of clicks that way. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Um, so I think something that um, people might not know is your filming career didn't start with Matchstick, right? I mean, you already were making some some films and uh, kind of, I don't know, earning your chops, right, prior to Matchstick. Yeah, well, I bought a camera right out of uh, college, uh, moved to Colorado, and started filming around Colorado. And it was an era where, you know, not everyone had a camera out there. There certainly weren't GoPros there. And there were very few high level consumer video cameras. And I had bought a fairly high level consumer camera. And so really good skiers actually kind of gravitated toward that camera. Um, and so I had a good opportunity to shoot with some really cool guys like in Colorado. I shot with this guy, Justin Patnode, and he invented uh, in Greg Stump's Groove Requiem, you know. And so I was kind of blown away. I was meeting up with all these uh, good skiers. So I started making my own movies, and they started really small. Uh, and then I, in 95, I, or then in 93, at a film festival in Colorado, uh, in Crested Butte, I was sleeping in my car in the parking lot. And I had a film up against uh, a movie that Steve Worry, Steve uh, Winter and Murray Weiss had made of Matchstick. They were real adventure films at the time. And they heard that I'd spent a night out in my car and, you know, Crested Butte, middle of December is, you know, it's frigid out there. And <laughs> so they're like, don't spend another night in your car. Come sleep inside in our house. And so I, uh, I met with them, hung out with them. And then I was back to making my own movies uh, for a couple of years. And then in 97, I believe it was Steve Winter's Heli Crash. It might have been uh, 96 or 97. Uh, Steve Winter was in a heli crash where he lost use of his leg uh, for quite a while. He was partially paralyzed and he was no longer able to get out there on the mountain. And so they needed another cinematographer and I filled that void for at least a year in the movie Six Sense in 1998. I made my own movie the next year again, 1999. And then ever since then, 2000, I've been working with MSP. So that's okay. the short run of it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good overview. Um, top one or two or three, maybe we'll even allow you 
favorite MSP films? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, there are a lot. <laughs> there really are a lot. Can I exclude McConkey? I, I think no. McConkey. It's <clears throat> no, thing, you but don't... it's not a ski movie. Mm, you know, okay, it's, it's okay, not okay. A ski movie. So McConkey's its own deal because I okay. love that. There's something about McConkey. I'm gonna throw right, right at the top. <laughs> okay. I think just because of the pure fun we had in making that movie, um, is it one of the best MSB movies? No, not necessarily. But it was a joy to make, and it's a joy to watch, and and it's just uh, so that's somewhere right in the top, top three. I'd say Yearbook was kind of a, a really big one. It's God, it's so hard because it's hard to pass over the ski whole ski movie series um ski movie one yep. two and three yep uh but yearbook pretty much stood out i thought the way i see it was really really good um mm -hmm. uh, what was that 2010 i want to say um and then maybe i'd seven sunny days was really good yeah maybe i'd just leave it at that but I, if i kept poking i'd be like <clears> oh wait wait a second you know this one needs in deep was really good for particular reasons and that was sean pettit's breakout and then there's there's you know there are good things and bad things to just about every movie you make so it's hard say, to single out say more about that there's good things and bad things about every movie you make well you always look back on a movie and and wish oh i wish i had done that better like very rarely is a filmmaker satisfied when a year later they watch something they did and you don't just sit back like, wow, this is terrific. Like yeah. you nitpick little things here and there. It's like you might, I don't consider myself a perfectionist, but you still always see places you could do things better. Because this is one of the things I want to kind of get into a little bit with you. I mean, I think a lot of people look at your life and what you do slash what you get to do. And it's just like, this is people's dreams, right? They're like, oh my God, I just go to sick places and shoot amazing skiers and like get to ski the stuff myself and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, um, it's actually a ton of fucking work. Um, well, and I guess, I guess I want to talk or hear your perspective on some of that. Okay. Well, it, it, number one, it is the dream <laughs> and, and <laughs> like, it's the dream job that I thought of when I was in college, you know, I, I never pictured myself getting into this position and had I, I wouldn't have believed it, you know, the, the things I get to do and I get to see and I get to film and whatever. So it, it still is the dream job. Now the one downside of that dream job is that half of it is spent indoors looking at a computer screen. Mm -hmm. So, and I never got into making movies for that. I got into making ski movies for the outdoor part, for hanging with friends and shooting some of the coolest stuff out there and just being creative and having fun on a mountainside. That's what I was all about. So the editing kind of worked in more and more. And uh, obviously, yeah, you're sitting inside for half the year looking at these screens and, and dealing with these little, you know, it's, editing is a, a real tedious process for anyone who's been through it. So it's not the most fun thing in the world. That being said, you still enjoy the process of creatively putting something together. So uh, I'm never going to say editing sucks. Mm -hmm. However, you you also 
editing almost is one of those, it's one of those jobs that almost can never be done. Like you can go to bed at night and you're still thinking about those things you should could have done differently. And once you put out the movie, like you could have worked another two, three, four weeks on it and even fine tuned it more. Like there's, when you walk away from a movie, it's not necessarily done. It's as, it's more, that's as far as you got it. So yep. uh, yeah, like the last, the end of making drop everything, I think I worked 37 days in a row. And a lot of those days were 11 to 16 hour days. Yep. You know, there were a few that were maybe three hours, two hours where I just put in a couple hours a day. But for the most part, it was 37 days straight of, of long days in a room, in a dark room. And so that part of the job is fairly brutal. Yeah. But there's so much worse you could be doing out there. So, and I never lose that perspective. That's for sure. And it's interesting because one, something you didn't, you didn't even mention, right? Which I think is telling. You're not talking about frustrations with, ah, shit, we're supposed to go to this location and the snow is crap. Uh, You know, oh, we're supposed to be filming this, but this skier got hurt. And I I think maybe what's interesting about that is you're like, yeah, no, I don't consider that to be the real downsides of the job. I'm still out making making creative films, and that's just simply part of the landscape of that. Yeah, you're just as you said, you when you're out there, you roll with the punches. Like we've had some years, like the fade to winter year, uh, which was what two two movies ago. Um, we got brutal conditions almost everywhere we went, except for Alaska. Alaska was the only like savior for big mountain footage. But you learn to adapt and, and do things maybe a little differently than you would have. Uh, and you know, sometimes bad conditions and sometimes bad footage and, and all that stuff can make for more entertaining material and making a movie because you get to be more creative with it. Like when you've just got, when you've just slaughtered it the entire year and have all this banger footage, you're focused on getting all that banger footage into this little package, you know, that's got to be under an hour long. Yeah. And all that banger footage will take up all that space. And so you don't get to develop these creative things around it as much as you'd like to. When you have poorer years or when you actually a lot of, of, when you give yourself room to make that creative stuff happen, then you can make a more entertaining, more varied movie. Now, I think it's important um, going on a tangent here, but when you're making a movie that you want a movie that goes in waves, you know, it has peaks and it has valleys and uh and the banger movies don't necessarily do that you know they're just pounding you and and just beating you to a pulp with sick footage uh but you don't have these this ebb and you know and rise so so just circling back for a second you i think we settled on for your top three matchstick films um not counting McConkie, uh, we went with there's something about there's something about McConkey. Yeah. And I love that because you're like, that's that's the first one you mentioned, and you're like, it was the most fun, which I think is great. Well, which I think it, you know, is kind of what it should be all about. There there's a place 
in filmmaking, ski films in particular, you know, there's a place for every different kind of genre. Um, but a lot of movies have gotten really so serious. And for me, that's just not the world I, I like to live in so much. Like, I don't mind doing some serious stuff. I made a movie called Immersion that was pretty damn serious all the way through. Uh, but, man, I don't like to to just portray myself or my friends as that the entire time. Like, I want a movie that entertains and and makes people laugh. And, and you know, I, I was raised loving Saturday Night Live and, and watching Fairly Brothers movies and stupid, stupid humor, um, yeah. Naked Gun and that type of stuff, you know? And, and I enjoy just, who doesn't enjoy laughing and smiling and whatever? Right. The serious movies, let someone else do those and, and I'll... I'll give people the goofy stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about yearbook for a second. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I just rewatched your book a couple nights ago. Dear Lord, I somehow had forgotten that. I mean, it's, it's just a pantheon. It's just a pantheon of skiers. Mm -hmm. So here, here's just um, in case people don't believe me, here's an incomplete list of some of the folks some of the skiers in yearbook, okay? Shane McConkey, Seth Morrison, Ingrid Backstrom, Tanner Hall, a very young Tanner Hall, by the way, Eric Pollard, Sean Pettit, and even younger Sean Pettit, C.R. Johnson, Hugo Harrison, Eric Yorlifson, J.T. Holmes, Mark Abba, Mike Douglas, Chris Davenport. And that's not a full list. That's crazy. Yeah, you know... <laughs> You you go to movies. That was the era where guys started uh, going to do their own things. Right after that, hmm. like people started with with more technology at their disposal, uh, more film editing software, and all that. People started branching out right after that time. But that was a period. That movie, the next movie, maybe one more movie or so. <clears throat> was before people were like, hey, we can make our own movies, you know? And and I understand why people wanted to go make their own movies, like the Nimbus guys and whatever. You know, when you can be in a movie with two of your buddies, as opposed to being in a movie with 18 of your buddies, um, you, you have a little more impact, you know, with that smaller crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, big movies had to work that way with, with having a lot of skiers. Um, but, but that's, I think that's why that roster is so strong Dear is Lord. because that was before the branching out happened. Yeah. So when you, when it is one of your top three matchstick films, how much of that has to do with the fact that it's an incredible roster versus other aspects of the making of that film or just how it turned out? Oh, it's hard to say. I, you know, there's a combination, definitely a combination of action. Definitely part of it personally. Like I hear a lot of people say they really like yearbook and that was a big movie for them. But part of it for me is what I got to do that year yep. and, and where I got to go and who I got to be with. And uh, like we had a Europe trip there with Shane when they were doing their ski base stuff. Like that's, still going to be one of the that's going to be one of the highlights for my entire career of us just touring around europe and those guys looking for stuff to ski base off 
Shane and JT. And uh, Eric Eric Rohner was supposed to be on that trip too, but he broke his heel like when we we're they were base jumping right before we were about to do the ski part of it. Um, but so the experiences of that trip, like we still have JT and I are still just joking joking around with stupid stuff we say that we were saying in a van in 2004 driving around Europe you know certain things stick with you and so I guess I guess a lot of it has to do with memories uh I'm trying to think of where else I actually went that year but if I started looking at that movie I, I'd just be inundated with yeah you went here you went there went to Norway you did this yeah you know that was, was awesome everywhere so I don't know the personal attachment maybe <clears throat> has an effect on on what i say is what i think is the best movie but but i also i think from a pulled back objective i think yearbook had a lot of i don't know if groundbreaking stuff is the right thing to say but it just had a lot of really impressive footage good music uh great cast yeah and you know pretty simple it it wasn't it wasn't a mind-blowing creative movie by any means it was just super solid, entertaining, and uh, yeah, great stuff in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's the most mind-blowing session you ever witnessed? Ooh. For some reason, the uh, Alaska jump segment in the way I see it yeah, up in Alaska stands out in my head. With Bobby Brown, Gus Kenworthy, Russ Henshaw, and Richard Perman. Um, and then Colby West came on in. Um, so as far as a jump segment, oh, see, I'm going to get into one of these things too where I started thinking of the other things that went on. Anyway, that was that was <laughs> groundbreaking. And as far as a park segment, I think that one uh, – really is going to stand the test of time. People still look at that segment as being a huge, huge event. Yep. Uh, then I would say there's another session, a big mountain session with uh, Cody Townsend and Henrik Winstead, also in the way I see it, uh, had one of the most amazing days in Alaska I- I've ever seen. And just hmm. two skiers, and they absolutely just slaughtered it. Hmm. And then finally, there's one other absolute standout, and that was Eric Jorlofsson in Superheroes of Stoke, where he was coming back from a knee injury, and we actually just spelled it out like like it happened in the or we spelled it out in the movie the way it happened, where he was just like, "Oh, I'll come out there and see what's going on, guys, and you know, see how my knee feels, whatever." And over the next couple of days, he absolutely just teed off and make made like the, the most amazing segment, and I think it was like two and a half days. Huh. You know, where some people are, are working the, their entire year to put a big segment together. OG just went out there and just nailed freaking everything. Is that the segment where Mark Abma is talking about, like, we came out here and Eric just started firing on another level? I think that's a different one. I think Is that, that Attack of La Nina? That might be Attack of La Nina with uh, him skiing pillow lines. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Abba says Hoji's on fire. Yeah. And something about like, I don't know, just something for me about a skier of Abma's level when he is like, this dude just blew my mind. I yeah. don't know that I just, I get, I've got goosebumps again right now thinking about that. Um, 
Yeah. You know, that, that hop, that happens more often than you think. There are certain sessions where a certain skier will steal the show hmm. and all the other skiers, no matter how good they are, will just be blown away by what's happening. And I, and I think that happened with Abba and Hoji with Sean Pettit when Sean Pettit was 16 in, in deep and skied in Alaska. Like what Pettit was doing was freaking ridiculous, especially at that age. And so the, the other guys don't sit, they don't lie down by any means and watch, but they're still just looking at it. And, and that happens when we're out there with Marcus Ader too. Like everyone's just kind of laughing. You're, you're not yeah. even you're just shaking your head and laughing at what he's doing because it's so ridiculously good. And yeah. the older guys are like, we're just trying to ski fast down these pillows. And he's just <laughs> wah, wah, wah. like, it's insane. So, so yeah, you get those moments all the time hmm. that you're talking about where really good skiers watch another skier and they're just blown, blown away by what's going on. I I'm going to just go ahead and admit and just, this is going to make me look bad, but in, uh, yeah, when, when Marcus, right, Marcus is the opening kind of the opening stuff and drop yeah. everything. And I was like, who the hell is this dude? I've never heard of. Yeah. It's, it's and, unfortunate because he kicked ass in uh, days of my youth mm-hmm. and actually fortunately in, in days of my youth, he was recognized at least at IF three as being, uh, one of the, he was nominated for, male skier of the year the saddest thing is powder magazine has not even had him on their list of uh people's choice for the last three years running and he is without a question like one of the most amazing talents out there he's incredible and, yeah he's, he's been one of the best stars for us to work with for the past three years and and i've been super stoked to have him on board and and i i just don't think americans clue into the European talent quite as much as they clue into American talent. Hmm. You know, there, there isn't that same attachment there. Marcus is from where? He's, he's from Italy, German speaking Italy, like very Northern Northeastern. Okay. If you needed any more incentive, uh, and you're wondering what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. In addition to seeing Hoji and everybody else and drop everything. Um, check out the opening stuff with Marcus. It's, it's, it's really incredible. So yeah. And Google Marcus's days of my youth segment. And, uh, mm, yeah, it's gotta be on YouTube or on the, in the MSB, uh, page somewhere and yeah. fade to winter too. He's got another banger segment and fade to winter as well. And ruin and Rose, like he's got a, so that's four years now that he's been filming with us. Yeah. Maybe should I get him on this podcast or is he boring? Just no, he's, he's, he's good he's at his boring. I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, there might be a slight language barrier there. <laughs> he actually speaks English really well. Okay. Um, he's, he's a little kid. Uh, he's super entertaining and, and fun to be around. <laughs> we, we call him the kid just because he's, he's always, he's doing goofy stuff. Like last, last year, we skied this line at GAH, a Golden Alpine Holidays, and everyone else is looking up at lines. And Marcus is digging down a hole in the snow to see how deep he can put his body into the snow. And he ended up getting like, you know, t- 10 feet deep down there or something like that. He's, <laughs> he, and he's always just dorking out. That's funny. In a good way. In a good way. He's one of those good people to have around. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, I... Uh... 
I was talking to Eric Jorlovson and I, I told him that I was going to be talking with you soon. And um, <clears throat> let's see, this is this is the direct uh, the direct quote from Eric. Legend, four exclamation points. <laughs> uh, I will always remember Scott's Misty Seven off a cliff at Squaw. What a boss. Then he, <laughs> then he did it again and split his head open. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Eric said, you should see if they can upload his MSP segment from back then and post the link. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a third link request here. That a boy, Hoge. um anyway uh yeah i thought that was pretty great i think when hoji calls you legend and it's followed by four exclamation points you're you're living right well it's freaking flattering he's a legend he's he's the game changer (laughs) the skier who just has blown your mind most or continues to blow your mind most and why uh I was too close to him to have the full objective perspective, but Shane McConkie, without a question. It just in every respect, you know, he was, he was a, a technical big mountain guy, freaking won competitions on the pro mogul tour. He was dominant on the big mountain circuit. He was inventing park tricks. Uh, he won skier cross races as far as like the guy who could do it absolutely do it all and he entertained us better than any skier ever has so and jt has said it before like he's the kind of guy that you're with and you you spent your normal day with and he was just constantly blowing you away whether it was on film or in person and you know just capturing it with your eyes so shane obviously stands stands way up there um the the second guy who could also replace Shane at the very top of the list is Candide Doex. Mm-hmm. That that guy just just on another level. You know, I, I haven't watched any of his clips. He hasn't put out anything in a while. Got, we're just kind of waiting to see what happens. Yeah. Um, but someone just shared one of his clips the other day where he's doing that huge three next to that building. Yep. Uh, kind of down that tunnel, and you just watch that, and you're like, Jesus, this is just a whole different game for him. Yeah. So I, I definitely had the, the fortune of shooting with him a little bit in the past. And it was a uh, pretty honored to have had that time. Yep. So that yep. guy had, I mean, er, ever since he came onto the scene, he's been insane all the way through. Yep. Completely. And like just getting more insane. Yeah. Like, I think that's your point, right? Like, it's like, are, have we even seen the, have we seen the top yet? Because <laughs> it's right. not it's not clear that we have. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy. But I'm I'm impressed by all kinds of people. Um, you know, in in all walks of the sport. I, I we we don't do a whole lot of urban shooting. Yeah. But I watch what a lot of those guys do. You know, I, I was watching step movies for a long time, level one flicks and and taking it in what these these guys are doing. And and it's all insane. Like and I see Tanner Hall and you know the the energy that guy has for the mountains and skiing is unrivaled. Yeah. And then you know you watch that Tom Wallace clip, what he did with the Sherpas in that imagination segment was sick as anything. Yeah. And there's guys like Parker White. You know, they're they're guys just all over the map. 
Uh, there's so much talent out there. It's ridiculous. And that's, it's really cool time to be part of skiing. It's a really hard time to make yourself stand out because there's so much out there. Right. We, we are just obviously in this new era of kind of the, the rise of the online and digital short. Um, and so as somebody who has been sort of seen it all and been making these films, what do you, what do you say about this? And has this, has this made your job different or your approach to making films different? Uh, obviously the internet's had a really massive impact impact on, uh, making ski movies. You know, you'll hear some people say ski movies are dead, but at the same time, they aren't going necessarily going to the premieres and seeing hundreds of people that are, you know, gathered together and getting super fired up for winter watching these movies, you know, so maybe they're just making assumptions that aren't really based on reality, but just there's so much saturation out there these days with the internet and seeing footage, you know, it used to be you, you'd wait till September and, Oh my God, that movie's coming out. This is going to be insane. This is our moment. We're going to go see this movie. We haven't seen anything for the last eight months. And then, you know, boom, you were just enlightened to this greater world by seeing this ski movie. Now you watch 20 clips a day. You know, and, and there's insane stuff being put out every day. And so, yeah, it's, it's saturated. Stuff doesn't have the longevity that it used to. You know, you'll watch a sick edit and, and three days later you forget about it. Um, so you, you can't take away from the Internet. You can't say, you know, I wish that wasn't here. Uh, I don't know where I'm necessarily going with this. It's, it's unfortunate that one happens at the expense of the other and they actually both draw each other down. Hmm. You know, um, movies can't have quite the same fire that they used to. And there's so much on the internet that things don't stand out as much. I, I don't know. It's, it's a complicated mess that there's, there's nothing we can do about. It's just, it is what it is and you just got to roll with it. Yeah. What, if you had to look into your crystal ball, where does this all, what are we, what's the landscape look like five years from now or 10 years from now? Whew. Hard to say. I, I bet there's going to be like a lot of live seeds though from, from the mountains, hmm. you know, of like GoPro type live feeds where people get to go skiing with you through the course of the day. You're like, here comes my run and then people are click on and people are watching you at home. There's, you know, that could be one year out. That could be two years out, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, people don't even have to go skiing anymore. They'll just let someone else do it. And they'll just sit there <laughs> and watch from, from their chair. That's interesting. Wow. Okay. I don't, that, that, that was, that's a spontaneous thought, but yeah, that's an interesting thought, but, but I, I could definitely see that happening. <laughs> like, Oh, this guy's, he said he's going to go ski the fingers. Let's go click on him and see what's happening, you know? And uh, it could very well be the case. We got to talk about McConkie, the film. Okay. I also went back and watched this uh, last week. And I got to say, as funny as the film is and as, as amazing it is to kind of just go back and watch this 
you know, this life, it's, it's a, it's a sad movie. No, 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 it is. It is. But I think hopefully it leaves you with a little happiness. And that, that's what he did with me. Like in, in making that movie, I, I cried a ton throughout. Yep. But I laughed way more. And I've said this a number of times, but going through all of his old tapes, all of his footage, like it was just hours and hours. There must've been like 60 hours of his personal DV tapes. And it was super cool because I got to go to bed at night after editing late into the night. And I lie there thinking that feeling like I just hung out with him all day. Yeah. And when you hung out with Shane, it was a treat. Like it was like, I, I lived with him for four years and that that's still, I look at it as having been a treat. Um, he just enlightened your life so much. So I, I think hopefully the greater takeaway is, is what the message we're trying to convey with that movie is to the, the adage of you have one life, live it, you know, just make the most of it Yeah, because he did. And he inspired a lot of people to do the same. Yeah. But it's sad. Yeah. There's, there's no denying the fact that life would be better if he was still around. Yeah. I mean, it's also really impressive. Let's skip the skiing altogether just as a documentary. I mean, there was so much footage, you know, he left so much film and footage of himself that it's, it's really a remarkable film just from the point of view of a, as a documentary, even if someone didn't could care less about skiing. Um, I think, I think that was a really remarkable aspect that stood out to me more this time, maybe than the first time I saw it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you did some impressive, like you said, impressive sifting through a ton of tape. Yeah, well, thanks. It, it was a long process, but it's one of those things where, like, there are probably a bunch of people out there who you could think of in the action sports world who would be good subjects for the same type of thing, hmm. but they might not have the wealth of footage that Shane had. He was just such a geek at capturing everything that it, it just gave us this, this bevy of material to work with, and it made it that much better. One of the things that's interesting in the film is near the end, it you kind of lay out and roll through all of Shane's injuries. Mm-hmm. And dear Lord, it's a serious list of injuries, right? Yeah. And I, I think that to me, you know, we all, it's easy these days to think of like Shane doing badass things or just being hilarious and a goof. But like you don't have that many really serious injuries and continue to produce as much, you know, star in as many films as Shane did without being just crazy tenacious, like a crazy tenacious professional. Yeah, it would have been easy for him to give up way before. I mean, the guy was always it seemed like he was always hurt. If he got through a year. Without a season-ending injury, it was an accomplishment, hmm. you know. And uh, he just had the spirit of, and you saw it since he was a kid. Of he just wanted to keep pushing, and he was never satisfied. And uh, he just wanted to make things better. And if it wasn't just for him, it was for the whole sport or this or that. And so 
he always was able to look beyond those injuries. It was like, oh, great. Blew my knee again. Here we go. And I think it became such a routine that he was used to it too. Hmm. You know, once you've had, uh, once you've had a six month recovery period, that next six month recovery is tough. But then the next one after that, you're used to it, you know, and then you do that a few more times down the road and it's, it's just, you become accustomed to it. Now I think that's what happened with him. Would you, would you guys be filming and like, he's like, Hey, I think I could go, I want to go see if I can pull this off. And you're like, dude, that's a terrible idea. Please don't go do that. Or what would those conversations be like? You know, he was calculated to the point where I don't think there were a whole lot of things I had to talk him out of. Um, like I can't even remember any specific instances because when you're dealing with someone who's at the absolute top of the game, and he might not look it on the surface, but he's totally calculated and totally into self-preservation. Uh, then you kind of just like, you sure you got that? Okay. I yeah. trust you. Yeah. There was a whole lot of trust on both sides for us. And, and that was a, a pretty cool relationship we had going. Hmm. It's funny. Just watching again, I think this was some of the stuff that, I mean, you've seen it in multiple places, but in your book where... I don't even know how to talk about this where he's either, what was he skiing down concrete walls or dams or, or also kind of some similar stuff on just big sh like ice walls. And he's just nuking the stuff. Oh yeah. We just called it rhyme, rhyme rides. It was just like rhyme, you know, ice encrusted on the rock in Bella Coola, British Columbia. Yeah. And yeah, that was one of his highlight shots, just a big straight line. I, that certainly wasn't the one of the most one of the most difficult things he's done on skis because it was just a like a squaw straight line yeah. on a really ugly looking slab of rock. But I don't think that was it was more impressive than it was difficult. Uh, I'd say there are other things that he's done rowdier, but but that looked really cool. Yeah, it looks <laughs> super cool. What's uh, care to nominate? What's your sort of having watched it in person of the stuff you saw him do? Oh, I was What's, afraid you were going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go again. The, the list that starts as two things and turns into 30. <laughs> well, I wasn't there, but I knew this one was coming for a while. I wasn't at this scene. But it's when he jumped off the Perrine Bridge in Idaho, which is 450 feet or something like that. It's a base jump. Yep. And he hung on to Eric Rohner's, Rohner's uh, uh, rig. Yep. Base jump rig, but Shane had nothing on but a helmet and a, and a pair of shorts. And so he jumped off there where if he peeled away, he would have died. Yep. So that, and, and Sherry mentions that in the movie, like she thought that was the stupidest thing ever. So I wasn't there for that one. I think that was uh, pretty ridiculous. One of the most amazing things I saw was probably his quadruple back off Lover's Leap. Uh, a ski base um, quadruple backflip though he just kept upping the ante yeah. one you know just adding on another flip and another flip and another flip and then doing four and it's not like the biggest flip in the world so you have to kind of nail your opening and everything like that and uh, so doing a quad backflip off that thing was pretty nuts yeah and, and other than that as far as like standard ski stuff I mean it, I, I wouldn't be able to, uh, that, that rhyme ride was pretty cool. 
for sure. <laughs> um, God, it's, it's it's really hard to say. If, if I just started watching stuff, I'd, I'd be blown away. Probably some lines he did in the movie Push hmm. in Alaska. He did like he did this double stager there, and then this other line that it, it looks like it, it's not that big a deal. But if you were there and you saw the conditions, like there are a lot of things within skiing where it looks great, but if you really know the conditions. Yeah. You know it's a whole different game. Like he had maybe six inches of blower powder on top of a really firm surface, and and you couldn't mess up that. And that blower powder made it look great. But man, if you went tomahawking or anything there, it would have been uh, would have been brutal. So he's got a couple lines in push in 2006 that are pretty sick, but really hard for me to um, distinguish what they are for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. But he had a lot of good skiing in that movie. <clears throat> yeah. Um, one of the fun things about Drop Everything is uh, some of the squaw stuff, right? Where you're kind of doing this multi-generational thing, right? And showing yeah. some of the young bucks, talking to some of the old timers there. And um, uh, I thought that was just a really cool a really cool part of the, the film. Um, I don't know. The question here, I guess, is with this upcoming season, I mean, who are you, who are you skiing with when you're out? Um, is it just kind of a, yeah, some days you're meeting up with some of the folks who've been around for a while. Sometimes you're linking up with some of the new, new kids. How does that work out at squaw for you? Well, it's a little weird for me because most people my age don't ski the things I like to ski. I, (laughs) I haven't matured. (laughs) <laughs> and I like to just go uh, poke around things and jump off a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to ski with guys like Aaron Fox and Josh Anderson. And these, these are guys, I don't even know how old they are. They're probably high 20s. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then then even uh, younger guys, uh, guys like Xander Goldman and Ross Tester. And, you know, these are teenagers. Yeah. And it's just kind of, natural for me to ski with these guys who are, who are skiing, who, who want to be jumping off things and, and, you know, billy goading into certain areas and whatever. Um, so on any given day, I'll go ski with, uh, guys, the age of what, you know, I, I could be their dad, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which is weird to me for me to think it's, I have to like actually allow myself to think that way because when I'm out there, I feel like I'm just one of the guys, <laughs> but then, you know, when I look at it objectively, I'm like, they're looking at you as a super old guy. I can't believe you did it. It's, it's weird. It's weird. I, I've not accepted my age. Okay. Which is 49 in a couple weeks. 49 in a couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it's good. You know, in between, you know, throwing backies at squat, you can be doling out some fatherly advice on the, on the chairlift, on the chairlift. It's good. My fatherly advice is what I think the snow conditions will be in that line that they're about to ski. And that, that's about it. <laughs> All right. We should wrap. And so we, we gotta, we gotta do it. Um, greatest ski movie ever. Ooh. Uh, Blizzard of Oz. Okay. But is that really the answer or is that just the obvious answer? Uh, it's a little bit of both. For me, it was the game changer for me. Yep. in my entire life and so it's 
unequivocally Blizzard of Oz. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, no, no ski film had that impact. That's that we can safely say. Yeah, but but still, the way it's done and everything, like movies are not done that way anymore. And and I wish they were. And I'd like to try to capture that again. Just the way it was put together and everything. It's 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 got a randomness and a cohesion at the same time that is something special. I, I don't think has been equaled. Um, there are a lot of reasons that that flick stands out beyond just its impact at the time. Yeah, I, I think it's. I really think it's something special. Well, cool. Well, Scott, this is um this has been really fun, and you've got a pretty remarkable story here and a pretty remarkable history in the ski film industry. Um, so I appreciate you kind of sharing your perspective on some of that. Um, and we should say, I mean, people should go check out drop everything. So where should they go to, uh, get more information on where they can either download the film or go see the film? I guess just go to, uh, steamovie.com. And then I'll have tour listings. It's still touring all all over the world, mm-hmm. um, and it'll also have you know once once I make the movie, I kind of get it out of my hands, and so I don't even know I don't even know the proper channels to go through. Just <laughs> go to skimovie.com, and they'll tell you everything you need to know. Perfect, perfect. Well, hey, thanks for the conversation, and um, yeah, look forward to uh, doing it again sometime down the line. Sweet, Jonathan. T- thank you, man. All right, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Scott Gaffney for the conversation. And be sure to head over to skimovie.com to download any and all of the Matchstick films we talked about today and to see the tour schedule for the latest MSP film, Drop Everything. Thanks also to our audio engineer, Justin Bob, and to the Mountain Collective for sponsoring this episode. Go to mountaincollective.com to get your Mountain Collective pass, then use it to go to Ski Squaw, where you will find this old man named Scott out there with a bunch of teenagers jumping off of everything. Of course, we also dropped a new podcast series this week called Gear 30, so subscribe to the Gear 30 podcast, and then go listen to our inaugural episode with Eric Hjorlifsen talking about his new Hoji boot. All right, that's it for now, and we will talk to you next week.